Welcome to Let's Talk About Treks, an episodic review of today's visions of the future featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. This episode, Jack and Earl are gazing at the stars at night. It's Star Trek Lower Decks, Season 3, Episode 10. It's the season finale, and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, everybody. Hello. I'm Earl Grey. My name is Jack Dorino. And we are Let's Talk About Treks. That's who we are. This episode, we're discussing Star Trek Lower Decks, Season 3, Episode 10. Moose out front, should have told you. The Stars at Night. The release date was the 27th of October, 2022. Uh-huh. It is the 30th episode of all of Lower Decks, which makes sense because they do 10 episode seasons. It is the 800 and... Are you, you're checking our arithmetic again this, this week? Apparently. No. No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm checking their arithmetic. Oh, okay. I'm sure they are glad to hear that. <laughs> Let's not talk about them while they're not here. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is the 863rd episode. Oh wait, are you guys? Episodes. You guys are here because if you weren't here, you wouldn't have heard us say that just now. I feel cumbersome. <laughs> the episode was written by Mike McMahon. Hey, that's our series creator. Thank you, Mike McMahon. He's written a lot of episodes this season. He has several. This person has directed a lot of episodes. Our favorite Vulcan director, Jason Zurich. Zurich. He's he's one of the children of of Sarek. We might discuss that later. <laughs> okay. The in-universe date is 2381. The start date is 584.99.2. We find that out because we start with a log. Who's it by? Ransom? Yes. That opens us into this episode. Yes. Yeah. So there's a thing about start dates that I always believe. So, like, here's the thing that I always believed about start dates, right? Is Mm -hmm. that, you know, the first number is... Well, four for the 24th century is what it was. And now it's five for the, well, it should be five for the 25th century is what I thought. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then the second number is is based on the number of seasons since Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm. So like first season Next Generation is four zero. And here we are 18 years after that. Right. So that's why we're in five eight. Mm, okay. The last three digits I've always believed to be the number of days per year based on a thousand days per year because you know time works differently. Apparently, though, because this is the final episode of the season, it seems to me that since we're in 499, we've shortened the years to 500 days per year. Okay. So I don't know if that's the way it is or if we're going to open next season at 585xx.x. Yeah. The interesting thing to me is that season one starts in 2380. Season two continues 2380, and then it transitions somewhere in season two into 2381. Hmm, interesting. And then we're still in 2381 in season three. So there's a little bit of uh, timey-wimey stuff going on here. Yeah, it it might have something to do with uh, Mike McMahon coming up, as we did, on the bridge of the Enterprise-D, and believing that, you know, a season of Star Trek is 22 to 24 episodes. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know what this 10-episode thing is we're doing. (laughs) <laughs> Ransom's log places us on Douglas Station. This is the station where Rutherford used to serve before he came to the Cerritos. Yeah, what planet is Douglas Station orbiting? Because this certainly isn't Earth. I don't know. I was a little confused about that as well because I thought that Freeman would be in the same place as Douglas Station mm-hmm. because that's where the Cerritos is. But mm-hmm. Freeman is at Starfleet Command. Yeah, I mean, they can't be that far from Starfleet Command. They can't at all. Because yeah. if you remember last episode, when we did that warp distance, cal- well, 
two episodes ago, a mathematically perfect redemption when we did the whole warp calculation and like how uh-huh. long it takes to get places. Uh-huh. There's it doesn't make sense for her to be on Earth and Douglas Station not to be there as well. Yeah. But again, um, it's a cartoon and maybe we're not supposed to go that deep. <laughs> okay, cool. During uh, Freeman's, you know, command questioning. Yeah. At, at Starfleet Command. Is it a drumhead? It it is a drumhead actually. Oh. It's a it's a it's a hoax. They've already made up their mind. <laughs> it's it's fake news. No, well they I don't think they've made up their mind. I think that Buen Amigo has some pull and he's well he ends up overextending himself, but we're not quite there yet. He does betray her though because he's yeah. you know, he's he's talking about how the you know, his new Texas class of starship that we were introduced to last episode mm-hmm. uh, takes out the factor of human error. Mm-hmm. So he actually suggests decommissioning all the California class ships. Yeah. I'm utterly shocked that the entire like Admiralty Council agrees. Yeah. Well, here's a question that I just thought of. I mean, drones can have human error because they're flown by a person. They're not flown by, you know, computers. They just perform a specific task. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was referring to what we call drones today, the quad helicopters and stuff. So that's the thing about naming things differently. Uh, mm-hmm. Now the the AI that we know today, like Alexa, Siri, is not the same thing that they're talking about in the future when they're talking about Zora. Yeah. You know, so I think it's this along the same lines where like drones then are not the same as drones now. It's the okay. same word with actually a different denotation. 400 years of advancement. Well, again, I don't know that Alexa sufficiently, you know, evolved over the course of 400 years <laughs> will become the kind of AI that, you know, that we see in Star Trek. Oh, okay. Well, hopefully not because we don't need a replay of Judgment Day. With the council agreeing to shuttering the Cali class, that brings us to the end of the teaser, and now it's time for the credits. And now, Earl, we'll be right back. We'll see you guys in a minute. Hey guys, it's Isaac here from Unplanned Trek. Like our good friends at Let's Talk About Treks, each week we do a new show. We put it up where you listen to podcasts, and what we do is we focus on Star Trek. Any episode or movie from across all the Trek canon is open each week for us to attach our unique lens to it and dissect it with a little bit of humor thrown in too. So if you like these guys, give us a go too. Search Unplanned Trek wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our nice little ad placement there for Unplanned Trek. Yes, we are back to continue the first part of the episode. Hang on, hang on. uh, I'm still here. I thought the commercial was over. Well, it is, but I decided to stick around in some sort of paradox, some loopy thing that Picard would tell. Oh, so I see, I see. So you left from the right side of the bridge and came back in on the left side of the bridge, and here we are. <laughs> I assumed everyone would be okay with that. Yeah, we, we are. <laughs> what, would you like to continue the rest of the show with us? Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Thanks for having me. 
Awesome. Yes, absolutely. It's great to have you. We are continuing the season finale of Star Trek Lower Decks season three. It's called The Stars at Night. And we're right up to the part where Freeman is confronting Admiral Buena Amigo. Yes. When she explains that the AI can't navigate complex complex problems like she can, I don't really know if that's true. Hmm. Because we've already seen Freeman recreated in the holodeck, right? Which means that the computer has generated a version of Freeman that is pretty close to identical. Uh-huh. And you would think the computer would be smart enough to like factor in her human error, factor in I mean, it factored in in the past, it factored in a secret about Mariner being her daughter. <laughs> yeah. So why would it not be able to reproduce her as as well as, you know, she can reproduce herself, so to speak. Mm. <laughs> I think that's what I meant. <laughs> the interesting thing about that as well is that the holodeck version based purely on research that Boimler's done. Yeah, so this is the thing about Moriarty. The computer, when generating Moriarty, had to go into its own system in addition to the parameters that were set for it and pull in other information. We've had a few conversations about like <laughs> recreating people on the holodeck. Yeah. <laughs> I myself don't know how I would feel about it. Uh -huh but I hope that it wouldn't be able to recreate me exactly because then what would be the point of me? <laughs> Maybe you can sneak into it, like have the holodeck replay a scene from your life and you can sneak into it and watch from an outside perspective on your own behavior so that you can see how you might be perceived by others without actually having to check with others or get a completely new, neutral opinion from the computer. That sounds horrible. <laughs> it's like, what if I don't like what I see? Then what am I going to do? Try and work harder to improve yourself. If Barkley had the hollow addiction, maybe that's why, because she's trying to self-improve. Yeah. Well, but he did like some degradation of the other people in order to make himself better. <laughs> I get, that's what I would do. I would make everything go the way that I had wanted it to go in real life. Ironically, people with Asperger's do that in their head all the time. I felt very fulfilled to learn Fedorov's first name in this episode. I'm glad that we finally got there. Mm. Did you catch it? I did not. Is it Liz? It's actually Hans. Oh, the towel guy. Yeah. Now, we, we, where's he from? Is, it, is he a fellow Lower Deckian? Well, he's always walking around the Lower Decks area in a towel. So I would assume either... <laughs> okay, so either he's... Uh, either he's a lower decker or he's an officer who's trying to like um, prey on the junior officers <laughs> and like convince them to like sleep with him to try to get ahead I guess so to speak no pun intended I caught that what you did there welcome to episode 69 ladies and gentlemen <laughs> I wonder if Hans really got dressed for the pie eating contest from the previous week through that in a towel that's a power move that is I think that if you're in a pie, you want to be as unencumbered as possible, you know? Like, when you're doing a pie-eating contest, you don't want to have to, like, stop and undo your belt. Right? To, like, loosen it up for more space. So a towel is probably a good idea. And then you have a handy, like, mouth-wiping thing already at the ready. When I just went somewhere else completely with eating stuff sloppily. Come here for the trick. Stay for the live suggestions on how to eat. <laughs> on, on how to eat. Pie. Yeah, totally not. <laughs> <laughs> so first I had the sinking suspicion 
that the things that we've discussed over the course of the last few episodes about Buen Amigo and Rutherford were going to come true. I felt vindicated by that when I saw Rutherford get really deep into the specs of the Texas class. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, oh, clearly it's going to be based on something he did. Mm -hmm. I didn't catch that on my first watch of this. Like I thought, I actually thought kind of like, um, I think Tendi, like, you know, you're kind of being a jerk here, being impressed by this stuff, but it's actually our enemy. It wasn't on to the second watch. I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that planted that. <laughs> well, and uh, he's totally in his own little world because Boimler has, he comes in and he's totally freaking out about the Texas class. Yeah. And he has all the same fears that every working class person has had for hundreds of years, ever since we introduced robotic autom automation to like automobile factories or mm -hmm. introduce the computer into the uh, working office this is the like they're gonna come and take our jobs so the like germ. apparently ai ai is the new immigrant apparently they're just immigrating into uh civilization ah boimler gets into some really good impressions yeah, I didn't know that Boimler was going to be such a comedian. I, I didn't think that he would be so good at impressions. Which do you think was his best impression? You know, I kind of liked them all. I was I found myself curious that, that Shaq's one was pretty good. And I found myself mm. curious whether or not Fred Tattashore did his own line in Shaq's voice. Or maybe they blended it somehow. I had the same thought. It was so, so perfect that it sounded like Shaq. It was, yeah. Yeah, it really was spot on. And like, there was no denying it when Shaq's... Well, I mean, but you knew that was going to happen, right? Like, when you start doing impressions of, like, senior officers or, like, people in a position of authority, yeah. <laughs> like, clearly someone's about to walk in and catch you. <laughs> so, we, but going back to the conversation that we had a few episodes ago about uh, the way Shaq's is and the way Tiana is, how, like, you know, Tiana just wants to, like... <laughs> wants to purr and rub up on you you know like Shex wants you to like you know kneel and pray with him and you know feel things and explore your paw so it makes sense to me that he would be so you know emotional about the whole moment mm -hmm. yeah I, I thought it was interesting as well that, that Boimler picked those three characters to imitate as well like out of all the senior crew you know he didn't pick the captain for it, which would be an obvious trope to go down when you're making fun of authority, go to the, the highest authority figure. Well, so who were the people? So there was Shax and there was, uh, T was it, yeah, Tiana mm -hmm. and Ransom. And Ransom. Mm. Hmm. It's weird that he did, okay, because I would have expected him to, to pick like Tiana and Billups and sure, the captain, because mm. that would be each one of the three of them's superior. I don't understand why Shax was coming to them to get a phaser fixed? I don't know what he needed help with. Yeah, that's what he, he called out, but he looked at Boimler for the help as well, which doesn't really seem to be his specialty. Like, if it was a broken thing, you'd think you'd go, out of those three, you'd go to Rutherford. Yeah, yeah. He, but he, what he said was like, you know, I was I was coming down to get your help, and it seemed to me like he was addressing Boimler. It did. Mm, I felt that, yeah. Boimler uh, loses control of that situation really quickly. And, uh, you know, he's got to run off to go get Shax. So that gives Rutherford and Tendi an opportunity to, you know, bring us up to date on, you know, what the social situation has been without Mariner. Mm -hmm. As Boimler does, like, kind of go 
off the deep end <laughs> sometimes. You know, like, I wonder if this Boimler that we see, you know, toward the beginning of this episode is the same Boimler that he became when he was on the Titan and he didn't have Mariner and his friends around. Um, Could he like, I wonder if... <laughs> that Boimler? I wonder if that guy was, like, making fun of people on the Titan. Oh. <laughs> Maybe Will Riker was flattered by, you know, how perfect his impression was, and that's why he moved up so quickly in ranks. Oh, cool. Maybe. And got the attention of Section 31 as well. Um, I think we do cut, like, once or twice to how successful things are going for William Boimler. And he does have yeah. a good relationship with, with Mr. Riker at the time. Well, and just check in with him so we know for sure that it's not him impersonating Brad. Oh, that's an interesting point. We, I, we were thinking that the only way we would see William Boimler again is if we start an episode and we don't know that he's actually replaced Boimler. Yes, my 11-year-old son, Jack, as well, he, his theory is that William Boimler is Boimler, and that will play out in the future. Oh, so... So, so like, he was replaced... Maybe at the end of last episode or something? Yeah, like his assignment will be to get on the Cerritos and do Section 31 stuff and pose as our Boimler. Hmm. When they split and they went to their separate assignments, the Boimlers, but, but that was true. But now that William Boimler is in Section 31, he will replace Bradwood Boimler on the Cerritos without us knowing it. And, um, you know, kind of like that shady season of Voyager where Tom Paris does bad stuff for a while only for us to find out that uh -huh. that, that was a ploy that that might play out in um his theory is that that will play out in season four of um of lower day i'm right behind that idea i think that that's that would be a very clever way to go i think that's what they've set up mm. really either they've set that up or they've set up uh like a shunt where like we can collect different characters from across the different star treks to create our new section 31 show <laughs> yeah if that ever happened so like Una mm -hmm. might not actually be in prison. She might have actually been taken by Section 31. Mm. Because if you remember, not to talk about the wrong episode of Star Trek, but if you remember Captain Batal, right? Kept he was with her at the beginning of the episode, right? And then she had to go meet someone on the other side of the Romulan neutral zone. And then at the end of that, she came back at the end of that episode and then arrested Una. So I kind of wonder, is Captain Batal Section 31, and she was actually just recruiting Una into Section 31. So that would be Una from Strange New Worlds. Mm. It would be Tyler from Discovery and Giorgio from Discovery. It would be William Boimler from Lower Decks. I thought that maybe Mariner would be a part of that. I, th I actually thought when Mariner left that she was going to go with Petra and go join and go like do her section, her... Uh, Strange New Worlds episode and then come back to us. Mm. But I, I, I think that it would be a good idea to gather people from the different episodes, to, from the different series to build Section 31. Yeah. Like, because you would start the series with, like, already a vested interest in all the characters. Oh, right. So th that is kind of a good idea. So would you have a Roger Rabbit thing kind of going on, or would you, do you have a live-action version of Boimler or whoever's in Section 31? from Lower Dell. Yeah, you would do live action everybody. Oh, okay. The issue is Boimler's in a different timeline to Strange New Worlds, and I don't know how they're going to rectify that for the crossover episode either, but Strange New Worlds is before the original series, and Lower Decks is after Nemesis, isn't it? 
Um, I think it's like 15 years after or so. Mm. But I also think that I don't think that Section 31 operates in one time. Mm, oh, I like that. I, I feel like I feel like maybe Section 31 has something to do with the Temporal Cold Wars. Ooh, I never thought of that. I think that when Giorgio stepped through Carl for that final time, that she went to a different, like a different time. Maybe she went to Section Thirty-One in a, in some other timeline. Yeah, you did point out last episode that uh, you were disappointed when it didn't turn out to be Giorgio that was the one who handed Boimler the badge. Yeah, it really should have been. It sh I mean, if it was going to be female, it should have been her, and if it was a male, it should have been Bashir. Ooh. Because didn't we establish during Lower Ooh. Decks that Bashir is running Section 31? I've missed that call. I can't remember. I feel like there was a mention of it. I could be wrong. It could have been a dream that I had. It's <laughs> <laughs> a really cool dream, though. <laughs> um, Why, thank you. The um, the guy in um, Discovery from the future that wears the glasses, um, he's obviously Section 31, right? Kovich? I, yeah, I, I have yet to nail down what his what his deal is but i guess that would be that would be the thing that makes sense yeah it has to be yeah because he did say someone asked him like well what could be more important than this mm. and then he says hopefully you never find out mm. and we never find out <laughs> That's right. it. i don't i don't know how often cronenberg actually plans on coming back to star trek but wouldn't it be interesting to have him as like a you know, a recurring character on another series. Absolutely. He's awesome. We move right on into apparently an episode of Tomb Raider <laughs> where Mariner has replaced Angelina Jolie as the lead character. Okay. You know, she's got this like this. Uh, I, I Presumably it's a gold pressed Latinum Klingon idol because <laughs> I don't think Ferengi grave robbers are going to go after anything that's not gold pressed Latinum. Like, I think that's pretty much all they are into. Mm hmm. Is that speciesist? <laughs> is what speciesist? That Fringy are into profit? Yeah. <laughs> profit, they they literally have they literally have a list of rules uh, that governs their <laughs> civilization that deals with profit. Well, and they were pretty bored with gold the one time they saw it on the combat in the next generation, so Yeah, I do remember something about like about like he somebody I think it was the Armin Zimmerman one who like grabbed the combat and you know tasted it and was like it's gold and then it was like they adorn their women with clothes <laughs> <laughs> yep Mariner is famous for this uh, sarcastic Vulcan salute but mm. I noticed that this time as she's beaming up it's actually face forward mm. So she's not doing the sarcastic back of the hand one. She's doing the the forward one. The traditional. Oh, I thought she always did. It. I guess I never noticed that she might have done it backwards, but uh, I didn't notice it in this episode either. I didn't notice it on the first watch, but when she gets beamed up, yeah, she's doing the the Vulcan salute to the the Ferengi that were chasing her, and and when she uh, rematerializes, she's still doing it. I had a question about that, though. How come? Yeah. Whenever mm -hmm. someone gets zapped during the beam out, um, not even one of their particles gets hit. Do you suppose there's some sort of sensation as the energy beam sort of passed, passes through them, but also sort of hits them as they're in the middle of transport? Well, I think if they're in the middle of transport, that's energy impacting with energy. Okay. 
Although I do think that, so transporters are supposed to have an annular confinement beam, right? So that's basically like a force field that's holding the energy converted from their matter in like into the matter stream. So it's like a, basically like a cylinder that contains their, contains that's like around their body. Oh shit. I did not turn off my phone. My bad. You could almost keep it in. That was great. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah because i forgot it's a door time so they um so like there's a, so there's an annular confinement beam that holds you know that's basically around the individual or whatever you're beaming up mm-hmm. and then inside that annular confinement beam you convert whatever's in there to energy and then stream it up to wherever it's going I think that like were we to really look at the engineering of this that if you shoot someone with a phaser while they're transporting it should be it should strike the annular confinement beam and go around it like shields yeah on a starship. yeah that that's what i was just thinking too is it shouldn't go through them at all it should just bounce off the confinement beam. i was also thinking and you know given the number of the episode this is for you guys 69 percent of the beam ups we've seen over time have been conducted by miles o'brien He's not gonna this is true. Out. He's gonna look after you. You know, Th- this is this is 100 true. I think he learned. I mean, that's been handed down. I'm sure Kyle does the same thing. Oh, he's so mean. Who is our who's our transporter chief in this? Is it Les Lundy? I'm not sure. I don't know if it's been established. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I've seen somebody man- manning the transporters. I feel in in my my in my in my head which again might just be you know filled with half with dreams and half with reality i feel like we were in the transporter room and they talked to somebody uh, you know one of our main characters talked to somebody who was at the transporter console Mm -hmm. but you know not knowing is probably not helping The Klingon idol is uh, similar in proportions to a Funko Pop. Would you buy a Funko Pop of that Klingon idol? It would be a cool thing to pick up at a convention, wouldn't it? Like, a, you know, just a limited edition run. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm betting that you won't have to wait very long to get that, actually. <laughs> I'm sure there will be a gold-colored Funko Pop Klingon I, I idol <laughs> available to us soon. Pretty soon, yeah. The music in this scene is... Uh, rather reminiscent of John Williams' famous Indiana Jones score. And um, I was I found myself thinking that Indiana Jones is made by Paramount. You know, how hard could it have been to actually just license the score? Or maybe that would have been too distracting? Like this part of the conversation? <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, I think that that is a fourth wall break that we probably don't do. I don't think we really do. Do we do other properties while we're in Star Trek? Um, well, yeah, we've had um, Star Wars um, fighters, haven't we? In Star Trek. Have we? I, so, I mean, there's those, there's Boimler's uh, gravity cycles. Those are, those are, de- <laughs> those are definitely Star Wars. Yeah, I yeah. think it might be in a Kelvin movie, but I think there's a um, Star Wars fighter that, that is part of an armada. Huh. Well, and some of the uh, Starfleet Command uniforms in the Kelvin universe are definitely reminiscent of uh, Imperial Command uniforms. Huh. Are we allowed to say Kelvin? Yeah, I think we are. 
I feel like it was a mistake for Petra to bring up the funding unless she was trying to like lead Mariner toward trying to figure it out. Like, how would she not expect Petra Aberdeen should have expected Mariner to look into the funding after Petra didn't give her a straight answer? Yeah, I agree with that. Like, it felt, oh, how would I put it? It felt like she was just planting stuff for her to investigate. It, it felt shady. Yeah. Maybe she was daring her a little bit. Mm. Or testing it. Yeah, I, I don't... Could they be trying to lead into a connection with the, the series of Star Trek Picard? Well, no, they didn't They didn't lead into it. They they directly connected it. This is, this is directly connecting Picard to this series because uh, this is only a few years before... Uh, Star Trek Picard happens yeah. so this would be Picard funding you know an archaeological expedition mm-hmm. while he's tending his grapes yeah I mean it, it's similar to funding PBS <laughs> with grapes you don't really have to interact very much you just send them your mo- your check once a month do you think he's the only one funding it well so I <sighs> This is gonna. This takes me into a, a whole, a whole long line of 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 conversation around like what is Picard's current connection with the Romulans? Because like it, first of all, it shocked me that he would have two living with him, mm-hmm. and then like these Romulans that he has living with him feel beholden to him, and that's just two people, mm-hmm. right? So I wonder how many Romulans are a part of Picard's life, you know, to his direct knowledge or not. Oh, saying that the Romulans, the Romulans that live with him are um, in a role of servitude rather than here, right? Like they're working for him, so that you know respect they've got for him could be just um, financial. Well, I think that something. I think part of their reason for being there is because he is he is a target. Right. He's especially a target from Romulans after, you know, he made a lot of promises. You know, he went out there yeah. with the Verity and made a lot of promises around the Empire of, you know, helping people. And then Starfleet, you know, cut his feet off in doing that. But they didn't necessarily publicize, oh, it's our fault that Picard left. Like, Picard, it wasn't Starfleet that made the promises to them. It was Picard directly that made the promises to them. So I could see different sects. Not to, I just want to make sure I pronounce that word because this is episode 69. <laughs> I just want to make sure. So, like, different, I could see different sects of Romulan society, you know, coming after him because of the lie. Mm, yeah. Or the perceived lie, I should say. Mm-hmm. So, they're more there as bodyguards and protection as well as, well, well, Picard would know that too, wouldn't he? Like, if they're not just there as um, to tend the grapes and serve him um, Earl Grey tea. Hey, you're great. <laughs> I would, I would think that Laris or Javon, probably Laris, would have said to him, you know, would have let him know, hey, yeah, like hey, we're here to work for you, but like really, we're Tal Shiar still. You know, <laughs> get out of the <laughs> like the the because you know, like what's the number one rule of Tal Shiar? Is it the same rule as Fight Club? It's the very same rule. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, I never. I've only seen like the first 15 minutes of that movie. I've never watched that movie and never had an interest in watching the movie, but I do know the rules. Like, I can't really watch it because then I'd want to discuss it. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if there's any podcasts about Fight Club. 
because that would be like undermining the whole point of Fight Club, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Can we even admit that we've seen it? <laughs> Two hour long podcast about it, but zero listens because no one's allowed to listen. Correct. Well, <laughs> I, I, you can't even really admit that you've seen the movie. Oh, I have seen the movie, but I'm also in the town. Oh, yeah. I think <laughs> I think we're breaking the rule right now. Talking... <laughs> I I don't know that I've seen um, like a promotion to Fleet Captain before. Mm. Um, it's a new rank. Like it's not Commodore, it's not Admiral, it's not Captain. This is a whole other thing. Uh-huh. I think it might exist within. Um, storylines within computer games in Star Trek, but I don't, I don't think I've seen it in, in episodes. Well, and sometimes I think it's implied. Oftentimes Picard, when they're on a mission and involves a small fleet, he's often the one in charge. Or in Star Trek First Contact, there was a fleet captain, but he was dead and everybody was just kind of doing their own thing. And then Picard, the Enterprise showed up and he just kind of took command and that automatically made him fleet captain. Huh, okay. Maybe it's a field right. commission, but... I wonder if he also got four epaulets. Yeah. <laughs> she gives she gives that uniform the same response that she gives Quark, which is like... Uh, the pass. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, I think he was expecting the, um, expecting the same reaction as um, Picard gave when there were four lights. Oh, four... <laughs> I had to think on that for a little while. Oh, don't worry. Earl will catch up. We'll give him a minute to ruminate on the four epaulets and four lights. Are there four? There are four lights. (laughs) (laughs) I I saw five, but, you know. You know, to be honest, in this this scene, I mean, I I saw what they were looking at, but I don't know what an epaulet is. Epaulets are the things that sit on your shoulder. Mm Mm-hmm that like have basically no purpose unless you are in the military and you like slide your little rank thing on there. Oh, okay. So that flappy little piece of cloth that's on high ranking officers shoulders in war movies. Did you read that from the dictionary? Cause that's what mine says. <laughs> no, I was paraphrasing what you said and parroting back. So you knew I understood what you were saying. Uh, well, I appreciate that. <laughs> Gentlemen, let's say we take a break and then come right back. Yes. After these messages, we'll be right back. You remember, like, previously we've talked about there's, you know, the relationship between Freeman, Freeman, and Buen Amigo based on the, Mm. you know, the mention in the first episode of this season where Marinus, you know, like, right? Yeah. So when Freeman says, well, wait, 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 you're not a badmiral. Mm-hmm. Buen Amigo doesn't like react to that really at all mm. you know so I do still wonder if this is actually the you know the Buen Amigo that they've always known and what has changed because you know he thinks that he's you know good of the minying but yeah. clearly if you're good of the minying you don't I don't think the Vulcan proverb is meant to say that like you, sh- you that that it's okay to squash the minority because that's kind of what the good of the many Im- implies if you you could uh-huh. interpret it that way that yeah. you know if you squash the minority then you don't have to worry about their problems anymore and you just worry <laughs> about you know the majorities right yep 
So, well, and interestingly enough, it's also been said that the bad guy of a story never thinks that they're the bad guy of their own story. Right, because they're, from their perspective, they're doing the right thing. Yeah. The other thing I'm going to point out is sometimes relational names can be given to people that aren't really biologically related to us. Sure. Yes. Agreed. So that's not what I was referring to, though. Like the closeness, the, there was a closeness implied by her saying Uncle Les. Okay. So just the idea that they, yeah. they gave him that nickname, that's the closest that they feel it, with each other. That means, that's that indicates to me that they've known each other at least stretching back to when Mariner was an adolescent. Yeah. Okay. That also gets touched upon by how... Um, uh, Les actually talks to them about you know are you still you know you're still leaving expensive and important things out in your house are you, you mm -hmm. know, just, um, she's smashing them and all so she she it, it's established uh, very true that that even if he isn't family he absolutely knows the family very well yes that's that yeah, yeah that's true that's a good I had forgotten about the whole thing about him <laughs> knowing how Mariner was mm. yeah it did surprise me that when Buen Amigo tries to have the Alito attack the Cerritos, that it, it instead decides to attack him. Yeah, I think that's when we get have the best line. The, the first time, it, especially when the ship says, I will burn your heart with fire. Yeah, and then it kills him. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed, but BB-8 apparently popped up somewhere. <laughs> BB-8? Yeah, did you see that little guy? Like, BB-8 popped up. Like, I don't know, I remember if he was on the outside of the starbase or on the outside of the ship, but he was, like, oh, mounted right. to... Oh, yeah. Mounted was, to, yeah. Yeah, that was the starbase. that. Yeah, you gotta go back and check it out. Um, the Alito activated the other Texas-class ships, and, of course, they are named after other places in Texas, like Dallas and Corpus Christi. Mm -hmm. uh, Corpus Christi. And uh, they start carving up this starbase. Like, it's always devastating. <laughs> it's always devastating oh, yeah. when a starbase starts getting carved up. Yeah. Because if you can carve up a Stargate Starbase, then you have like immense power that, you know, if if unchecked, can do horrible things like carve up a Starbase. Do you know how many people are on a Starbase? Uh, thousands? Millions? Yeah, well, like there's a lot of people uh, there. Yeah, hundreds of thousands? Millions, I guess, is what I meant. I mean, it depends on it depends on how big your Starbase is. I don't know how big Douglas well, yeah. Station is. And I know that particular mushroom... Um, Modern. Um, well, we're... We're in episode 69, so the Mushroom Head Starbase, <laughs> like, I think it comes in different sizes. Oh, does it? <laughs> in the movies, I've mm -hmm. seen those big bay doors open. Right? Yeah. And they just barely fit, like, an Excelsior class. Right? Yeah, yeah. I've also seen those big bay doors open, and they amply fit a Galaxy class, such as Starbase 416. Yeah. And Excelsior is much smaller horizontally yeah. than a Galaxy class. A Galaxy class is really wide, right? Yes. But in the episode Remember Me, we go to Starbase 416, and the Galaxy class easily fits inside those doors. But it's the same, like, mushroom head style <laughs> class Starbase, right? So yeah. that tells me that there are different sizes of that same design of Starbase. Yes. So I imagine you could fit, like, some of them have, like, 300 people on them, and some people, some of them have, like, tens of thousands of people on them. Yeah. And some of them are upside down, aren't they, as well? But they're not all <laughs> that, the same orientation. Yeah, that that's the... Um, regular one. Regular, Yeah, that's regular one. And other similarly shaped star bases uh, in the movies. 
and I think even yeah. early TNG. Um, with this, you know, California class versus Texas class thing yes. happening, I, I wondered if this was also huh. um, anything political about the, the, the differences between the two states. And I also wondered why it wasn't country, different countries in the world and why it was so US-centric. But then I realised that if it was, say, Australian-class um, starships versus Venezuelan starships, it could actually cause quite a bit of animosity uh, in the... Yeah. Um, yeah. In, in real world? Agreed. Yeah. They did keep it very safe. Now, the thing about... So there is kind of a difference politically between California and Texas, but those... The differences are sort of manufactured. Yeah. Like, so... So while so California's, you know, mostly blue state, Texas is not really a red state. Texas is actually uh -huh. a gerrymandered state. Oh, okay. Like they're actually the major their majority population is is blue, right? They're they're mostly Democrat, but the way that the Republicans have gerrymandered the uh, voting districts make it so that they end up being, on paper, a majority red state, even though they're actually not. And Isaac, to explain to that by red, that means Republican and blue, that means Democrat, if you weren't aware. Right. Yeah. And yeah. No, that 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 new, that type of news does make it over here, too. But okay. also like the difference between states from like an outside perspective is all, only stereotypes as well. Like I pictured Texans as, you know, um, everyone with a cowboy hat and everyone from California is underneath a Hollywood sign. So, you know, it's yeah. <laughs> well, and, it, it's and, interesting. Yeah. Everybody in Texas has uh, uh, steer horns on the front of their car. And so Texans <laughs> Texans wear boots and Californians wear sandals. <laughs> There's that too, yep. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're doing well, that. and the other thing I kind of noticed is that apparently Texas only has three large cities that are shipworthy named. I mean, it's not like you're going to make 20, 20 ships in secret, but they did make three. Uh-huh. You know, the first time I saw that ship, it sort of reminded me of a um, of one of those Section Thirty One ships uh -huh. from uh, Discovery that Leland had. Mm. Uh, I wonder if those ships were actually meant to like join together into one larger. They like is that the Voltron of ships? <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic! You know how we're kind of getting to a um, all admirals are bastards kind of um, thing from from all canon of Star Trek. Yeah. It's weird that all the admirals decided to go for the race in the first place without any testing at all of the Texas class ship. Yeah, I mean, other than the short test they had last episode. Freeman mentions in this episode that it hasn't even been tested yet, so it's it's an unsurprising ending to um, to the admiral in this scene because if we haven't tested it, then <laughs> it's not a surprise that the that the ships have turned against him and carved up the station. Sure, so, and it, why didn't they also turn against Rutherford though? Well, mm. then we haven't gotten to that episode yet, part of the episode yet. Yes, we have. This is the part where they carve, they start carving up the starbase, right? Yeah, but it's not until after the Sovereign class arrives and they try to lure the, the te Texas class away later on um, that that Freeman's like, hey, look, and we have Rutherford, too. And it's like, oh, shit, and I want to blow them up now, too. So no, no, to... I'm saying, I'm saying, when they when they went after Buen Amigo and mm -hmm. they killed Buen Amigo on the starbase, yeah, I would have sooner like because you know, alien evil AI goes after its creator, yeah, not the person who like usurped it for their own uses. They go back to the original guy because it's the original guy's fault that they exist, right? 
so it's more why does he call Buen Amigo father and not Rutherford father? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but I forget. Yeah, like, you know, like um, apparently Buen Amigo has people who are good at erasing like digital memory, apparently, because that's what I guess it's what they did with with the implant for Rutherford. Well, and it's true, too, that oftentimes there's a whole team of people that works on and creates an AI. So sure. wouldn't it make sense that that AI would go after that whole team and call that whole team father? Sure. I think sure. Data's case is a rare case where it was one person that made and create and built Data. You know, they say that, but I don't know if that's true. I mean, he did have Juliana Tainer there to help him. I'm sure he had other people helping him. Like he had, he had a whole colony. He had a whole like planetoid of colonists. Yeah. Who like somebody had to be there helping him. Yeah, I mean, he does call Juliana Tainer, Tainer mother too. So, mm-hmm. and it was implied that she did help. Is she a trusted source though? She was an android too. Yeah, she was. I it, and there's no telling when she became an android either. Mm. Like she, she could have been an android all the way back when data was around or she could have been flesh and blood at that time one would imagine one would wonder why well i guess she's been aging all this time that she has an aging program mm-hmm. oh you know what that i don't know why they didn't bring that up again because that would have been a great explanation for data because they've already established that noonie and soon could create an aging program because he did it for juliana tainer mm-hmm. so then why didn't we bring that same idea forward with data and that way brent spiner wouldn't have to be like no i'm too old to play data well <laughs> At the same time, I that may, maybe that's where it is implied that she's more advanced in data, and uh, she even expresses emotion. She could have been built after data. Okay. When when the the flesh and blood version of her got right. close to to death. Exactly. So now we've come around to answering the question that when they made data, Juliana Tainer was flesh and blood, because she would have been made after data, because data being not less perfect than Lore would have been made after Lore. Yep. And then Tainer would have come even later. Yeah. So we we've actually been to uh we've actually been to to Quaylor 3 before. Mm-hmm. Um was this the one where we met Klim Dokachin who had the fleet yard and then there were like the, the pirates who were hiding in that fleet yard? And they like did a face off against uh, Picard as uh, as the pirate. Remember, he joined like a pirate crew for a little while, and they did like a brief oh, face off with Riker as the captain. Yeah, wasn't that the wasn't that the Quailer outpost where they had like old like old ships in storage? That's not the Galen episode, is it? The, the name Galen keeps tripping me up because in my memory, Galen is the archaeologist who wanted to recruit. Picard and sent him on the chase. Oh, I thought it was the name that Picard had. Did he call himself Galen because he had that mentor named Galen? Oh. He, yeah, he might have been posing as that mentor. Oh, interesting. Oh, I don't think I ever connected that until just now. It's it's very comforting to know that in the future we still have slushies. <laughs> mm. Yes, it is. Because they are definitely a, a vital thing that you need when you're out doing archaeology. I'm sure Picard loves his slushies. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and also, because Petra led Mariner into questioning, you know, because she didn't answer the question straight, of course she's going to think that Mariner's going to go looking for the information. And I'm certain that that's why Petra ends up coming back while Mariner's in the process of, like, snooping through the files, right? 
Yeah, I mean, it, she she didn't wait long enough to wait and make sure she was really gone. Right. Mm. I mean, any teenage kid who wants to look at magazines after his parents are gone is, is no. You, you wait longer than that. Good advice. <laughs> like engineering journals? Is that what you mean? What kind of magazines? Yeah, or, um, you know... Or sports magazines. Yes, sports. <laughs> or articles, things with articles in it. You like it for the yeah, articles, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, you know, the, the once a year sports magazine that comes out with uh, all the new uniforms. Oh, for the female teams. Yeah. Yeah, ladies' leagues. Uh, Petra shows Mariner what the hell's going on with the Cerritos. Yes. Right, so, so Mariner, of course, has to go and help her friends. Mm-hmm. Like, why wouldn't she? When did Petra have time to read the news when, when Mariner wasn't there? Well, probably when Mariner was off doing her Tomb Raider act on, um, oh, you know, against maybe. the Ferengi. Yeah. Um, my question is, when did Petra have the time to go and get one of those old Dustbuster phasers from season one of Star Trek <laughs> Next Generation? Yeah. Th that thing was hysterical to see again. When they're leaving, I, you know, I got confused for a second because I thought they were leaving Free Cloud is what it looked like to me. Free Cloud? Yeah, Free Cloud. Free Cloud is where um, Rafi met up with her son. Right. In season I one of Star of... Trek Picard. Oh, yeah, I, okay, I didn't yeah. pick that up. Uh, yeah. Because um, it had all that bright neon and, you know, bright, shiny lights, you know, like a like a, a bright, shiny casino oh, version yeah, of that, yeah. Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently, yeah, that's what Quaylar 2 is. Hmm. I was on Twitter the other day, yeah, uh, last night actually, and I came across the name Van Sitters. Okay. And the only thing I could do when I saw it was gasp, and then I texted, I you know, I hit him on, I hit him on Twitter, and I said, "Oh my God, oh. it was you, wasn't it?" And he answered me back. He said, "Yes, it was." You 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 know Van Sitters? I don't know him, but I when I saw his name pop up, I I twittered, I tweeted to him, mm. "It was you." They named it after you, didn't they? And he said, yes, yes, they did. And so he's like the the head of brand marketing for Star Trek. Yeah, he also started off at working for Decipher when he was uh, writing some uh, for the uh, role-playing game, the Star Trek The Next Generation role-playing game. Yeah, I didn't even know they were still doing that whole Star Trek Adventures thing. But, like, they're definitely still, like, regularly producing them. Uh, yeah, I think a different company has it now, but, yeah. Yeah, the so the USS Van Sitters seven two five zero four arrives to come and come and help us out. Okay. Freeman at the time decides that she's going to go ahead and taunt Alito. Yeah, and that that's when she points out to the ship that they have. She lets them know where Rutherford is. Maybe the ship didn't know where Rutherford was at the moment. Hmm. Mm hmm. I mean, there's no reason for Boynamingo to have given that to him. So Freeman orders maximum warp for them to get away, and I note that they say they're at warp eight. Yeah, that's uh, kind of slow. Yeah, so I I've been wondering like, well, why is it so amazing that you know the galaxy class can go up to you know nine point nine 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 eight, you know, <laughs> if everybody can do that? But because we kind of have seen like kind of everybody do that, you know, like everybody's gone to like super high warp. It's nice to get the confirmation that there that some ships do have limitations so apparently the cerritos top speed is warp eight i'm actually not sure if that's the case because in this scene i think it might be where they start at warp eight but 
when they're when they're going faster, someone says we're, we're approaching our threshold, and I thought that mm-hmm. might have been a reference to the Voyager episode where they go to warp ten. Careful, we're about to turn into lizards. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, that's what I, I actually thought that they were making a reference to. Do you think if the Alito goes above warp ten, that it turns into a lizard also? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, well. I think we all do, don't we? It's I, just it's well established. <laughs> I didn't know that like so okay, so phasers are a form of it's a phased energy re- rectification, right? Okay. Is what that whole what that sort of pseudo acronym is, right? Yeah. So it is it is energy and light. I imagine the fastest component of a phaser would be that the visible light that we see, right? Cuz light yeah. moves the speed of light. So if you fire a phaser while you're at warp eight, will it actually hit the target? That's a good question. I mean, every time I see phaser fire in within a, you know, a warp field, I'm like, how? I mean, it's light. How does that work? How does it not just hit it, catch up with it, and hit itself? Is it a bit like when you're doing, you know, high school maths and you're on a train that's going 100 miles per hour and you uh, throw a tennis ball at 80 miles per hour? How fast is the tennis ball going? Right. Yeah. Right. That's what I'm. That's what I'm curious about. And it's also, it's like you know, when you get, yeah, like when you're driving, when you're riding in a car and you toss a ball up in the air, the ball comes right back down, right to where mm. you are. Like you can catch it. Um, if you throw that ball ahead of you, that ball's gonna hit you. Yeah. So if you fire your phasers while you're at warp, are those phaser is the light from that phaser now traveling at whatever that warp speed you're at is plus the speed of plus another speed of light? <laughs> so like if you fire your phasers at warp eight, is your phaser actually moving at warp nine? Or even still, is it instead of adding it, is it multiplied? Oh, so then your phaser beam is gonna turn into a lizard. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when that happens. You're trying to shoot the enemy and you end up just splattering lizard on their hull. Exactly. (laughs) So the other thing that people forget about warp is it's not incremental. It's, um, I I just had it. Exponential. Exponential. Yeah, so warp 2 is not twice as fast as warp. Well, I think warp 2 is the only one that's actually twice as fast as warp 1. Sure. But warp 3 is not three times as fast as warp 1. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, over the course of the past few episodes, the warp, uh, the matter antimatter reaction assembly of the Cerritos has been really fascinating to me, um, largely yeah. because of the fact that there are, you know, as with you know in the Enterprise D, we have you know the the anti anti deuterium coming up from the bottom, the regular deuterium slush coming down from the top. They meet in that center matter antimatter reaction assembly, and then the dilithium crystals channel that reaction, the energy of that reaction, back through one conduit into mm-hmm. the like the power systems. The Cerritos has like five feeds off of the uh, intermix chamber. Yeah. Well, I, I love how the California class warp core sounds in this episode and i also love it's very uh visually unique uh design it's very stunning to me yeah so that visual design is actually to exactly what i'm referring to because billups says that he didn't know how much the struts can take so mm. i feel like so there's two there's there's a two conduits coming from you know either side of it and then there's yeah. uh, like another pair coming off of it and I'm wondering when he says that he doesn't know how much the struts can take, 
are we talking about like the magnetic constrictor mounts like what's holding the those this, this either the stream of energy or the stream of antimatter in place like so that it doesn't you know blow up the ship I thought he was referring to the actual pieces of metal that held the engineering section section to the warp nacelles which holds you know the oh well, those are pylons right well y- yeah but in a stressful situation, he could, you know, just use a short shorthand. As a as a formal naval engineer, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna poo poo that. Okay. But okay, I, I see what you're saying. I guess that's yeah. that's conceivable. I just think that like engineers tend to use the language for that thing. Yeah. Because that's the parlance, you know. So d- does the Cerritos have four? Uh, pylons. Well, it seems what it seems like to me is that there are at least five, um, at least five power feeds off of the intermix chamber, and okay. maybe we're to, maybe the struts we're talking about are what hold those feeds in place, mm-hmm. right? Um, so you're talking about the like the big tubes that come off around from out the somewhere. I'm talking about what connects those tubes to the ship, like physically, mm-hmm. what holds them up off the floor. Oh, okay, yeah. Right. yeah. Maybe that's that. My, th- those connections. If you're gonna have a weak connection along the whole of the matter antimatter reaction assembly, I would imagine that just those physical pieces that are holding it in place. It's like the, um, it's like what hold. I think it's. I don't. I'm not. I'm no. Um, I haven't done like mechanic stuff in a while, but I think maybe that would be called an engine mount today. Hmm. Okay. Maybe. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So where like the engine is going so hard that it just shakes itself loose from the vehicle. Yeah. Well, maybe this is a ship that like Sulu talked about before is maybe this is a ship that can literally fly itself apart. I think so. I, I, I think so. And I think it has to do with that very particular and peculiar design that Cerritos has where it has, you know, that that engineering section down below. Yeah. <laughs> where is main engineering on the Cerritos? Is it in the saucer? Next to the battle bridge? Must be. <laughs> <laughs> it was very well animated, the the warp core. I, yes. I loved the look of it. Super yeah. intense. Shax also loves that that warp core. <laughs> um, he has been trying to trying to get this done for like three seasons. <laughs> um, strangely, going back to the uh, to the episode um, cause and effect again, we you know where you know Riker's got his balls in Data's face. Episode sixty nine. Um, <laughs> TNG episode sixty nine. No, LTAT episode sixty nine. <laughs> This is where you know everybody's making suggestions and nobody's quite listening to mm. to Shaq. So in this in this in this instance, Shaq is playing that parallel role to Riker. Yeah. Because nobody was listening to Riker. Yeah. In that episode until Data was like, "No, listen." And what's funny is that Boimler stands up from basically the same place where Data was, and he's like, "No, listen to him." <laughs> yeah. Something else that I thought was funny in the scene too is when the ship does start to fall apart, there are no rocks. Yes, there's been lots of rocks previously, hasn't there? This, for the first time, we actually see no rocks, and we actually see wiring behind those walls. It's a good pickup. Boimler telling everybody to shut up was mm. a little bit of a shock. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
but I guess, you know, with Bull Boimler being in place now, that, that would be his place to do it, to provide this moment of glory for Shax. Mm -hmm. Do you think that he did it because he realized that Shax's idea was the right idea? Or do you think he was still trying to, like, get Shax back on his good side? Oh, that's a... Could there have been an ulterior motive? I, I think he believed in the idea. Because he was like, no, look, wait, guys. Shax has the right idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he tried to say a few times, but... Maybe it was a little bit of both. Maybe he yeah. also had a ulterior motive and he said, hey, that does make sense. Hey, and I can use that too in order to get Shaxx on my right side, on my left side. I feel like in this moment, Boimler is standing up not only for Shaxx, but for like security chiefs across the fleet because he's also standing up for Worf. <laughs> because every time Worf would come up with an idea, they'd be like, shut up, Worf. <laughs> We're not doing that. <laughs> It's a it's a huge moment for Shax, and I'm I'm actually oh, yeah. really glad that he finally got his opportunity to do this. And the the fact that like this moment is so overblown, and it's like it's like Shax is getting like this promotion to admiral all of a sudden, <laughs> and like the whole ship stops to like congratulate him on finally doing the thing that he's been da, trying to da, do this da, whole da, time. Da, da. Yeah, the Chariots of Fire would have been a good a good piece of music <laughs> to play behind this. I must admit, that's the part of the episode I found the hardest to grapple with is like in that moment of panic and red alertness that we're in that the crew would take their time to applaud him as he, yeah. as he hurries to the um, engineering. I just thought, uh, I don't know if that would have happened. And I was yeah. confused at first why he had to leave the bridge to do that. He really didn't have to do it at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They just had to accept his opinion and he, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like when it, when it was time to vent the shuttle bay, Riker didn't have to go down there and like manually open the doors himself, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. like a garage door. In fact, he didn't have to do it at all. Oh, yeah, that's where the garage door yeah. opener is for. We go back to, um, wait, did you just call Data a garage door opener? N no, <laughs> I'm sorry, no. So we do, we, so when we sip that, send that warp core out, the Alito sees it coming <laughs> There's a thing that happens, okay, with the Alito, and it, it disturbs me a little bit. And oh. it is that the Alito is a completely automated ship, and it was always planned to be an automated ship. But mm -hmm. when we we see scenes from inside the Alito, and we see a view screen yeah. inside the Alito, and we see, like, fire happening and stuff, I had imagined that those Texas-class ships didn't really have space inside for people. Y yeah, I mean, it had me a little confused. I mean, maybe at some point, like, if they had to transport... Uh, people to a hospital ship or a hospital or uh, rescue rescue uh, colonists or something. Yeah, yeah. That you would put them in the buffer, right? Uh, well, oh, I mean, not necessarily. That's not necessarily safe for long distance travel. Mm. Well, according to Mbenga, it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> you just have to rematerialize them. You know, everyone's every so often. Yeah, yeah. When when the uh, warp core is ejecting, did you notice that the ship? Kind it of. did not. It did too. It did not. It made a fart so sound. Earl is of this opinion <laughs> that he heard a fart sound as the warp core was ejected. I myself took it upon myself to go back and watch that scene earlier today four times, <laughs> listening very closely with my volume high up, listening closely for a fart sound. I didn't catch it. <laughs> Unrelated. Can I ask if your neighbors checked it on you to see? <laughs> You know, I am a hundred percent sure that they are used to hearing Star Trek playing very loud <laughs> in my apartment. <laughs> so we detonate. I really thought that all three ships were gonna get exploded. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. 
we are uh, we're we're coming in on home stretch, gentlemen, and I'm going to suggest that we take a little break and come right back. I think that's an excellent idea, ladies and gentlemen. Please, and everybody else, please uh, enjoy a brief break. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, you. Welcome back, you. Welcome back, Isaac. Also, yes. Thank Isaac. you, Isaac. And and welcome back to you guys too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we we're all very polite. It was a shock to me that the Alito made. It. I definitely thought that all three ships got exploded. Mm-hmm. But of course, the Alito has made it through. It's got all kinds of like, it's all kinds of like marks and burns from you know taking a warp core in the face. Yeah. That's not a euphemism, by the way. <laughs> it is there. <laughs> so the Alito comes back and it starts, you know, firing. It's got, you know, the phasers and the photon torpedoes, everything. And I, I definitely had like a little heart drop uh, when Freeman ordered, you know, starts to do an abandoned ship. At least she's getting to this before. I mean, lots of times in Star Trek, we, we they don't get to that before the ship just all, all of a sudden explodes for no reason. This is true. This is very true. So she's aware of her ship's limitations. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty much on their last leg when uh, when Mariner is, arrives on the scene with Aberdeen in their funky little yeah. I don't know what it is ship. Yeah. There's one thing I've been wondering throughout this whole episode. What are these purple torpedoes? Quantum torpedoes. Those were blue. Oh. Were there multi-vector torpedoes as well? Multiphasic, perhaps. Oh. If they multiplied themselves, like I felt like sometimes it, it, you shot one and it became four. It, it mm. split off into six different warheads. Mm. It was cool. So it was launched as one. Um, oh, so maybe it had multiple types of torpedoes. Like, so if you combine one of the like orange, like bright orange fire torpedoes with like one of the blue quantum torpedoes, <laughs> would you get a purple torpedo? Maybe, yeah. That's definitely. Maybe they borrowed them from the uh, from the Vorta. Or maybe they assimilated them from the Vorta. Freeman's uh, Freeman's trying to warn Mariner off because, like, what are you gonna do against, yeah, you know, us and us and these ships that we clearly can't fight, and you have this like cobbled together piece of thing. Yes. So, you know what I did, Earl? Yeah. What'd you do? Mm-hmm. You don't know what I did? Uh, you freaked out when all the Cali ships started showing up. Yes, and I made note that there were 20 California-class ships, including the Cerritos. <laughs> you counted. Yeah. I did, because you have the Alhambra, the San Diego, the San Clemente, the Sherman Oaks, the Vacaville, the Burbank, the Fresno, the San Monica, the San Jose, the Sacramento, the Clover City, the Anaheim, the Riverside, the Vallejo, the West Corvina, the Pacific Palisades, the Redding, the Eureka, and finally the Mount Shasta. Mm-hmm. All 20 okay. of the Cali-class ships. It's the first time that I, that we, I think we've been privy to the entire run of a class of starships yeah we now know all of all 20 of them i wonder if that extends to for us to be able to expect that most classes of ships probably have about 20 well you know it's crazy because i cheated a little bit memory alpha says there's 25 well Mm -hmm. minus the ones that have already been destroyed 
Ah, uh, okay. So it must be the ones that have been destroyed that are not in my list because that was Boimler's list. Okay. Yeah, I, I meant to go back and actually count Boimler's list, but for me, he was reading it too fast that I couldn't keep up. Oh, I used closed captioning. Yeah, I, I would have too, but my processing speed is slow. So, well, well, you're well, you're well, you're welcome. Thank you. A, a couple of things on that, like yes. Jack, how have you waited the whole episode of <laughs> of this podcast to not read that list earlier? You were ready, man. <laughs> I've been waiting this whole time. Jumping I was so proud of myself. But, but, I, was, but, I, I held that secret super tight. He did very well. I would have blurted that out in the first minute, and I was I was right, quiet you. in the first minute. Um, uh, the other thing was, um, I don't think other um, class of starships have that many. Like I, I can't, I can remember the Enterprise having one sister ship, being the Yamato. Remember Mel? They also had the Galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. But I can't remember like heaps of galaxy class starships. I can only remember two or three. But I don't know if the Melbourne was. Um, that's not how we say Melbourne here, by the way. The Melbourne was a <laughs> Nebula class, I think. Yeah. Right. So there's the Enterprise and there's the Yamato. Is there any more? The Odyssey was one. Yeah, the, that was that was destroyed in Deep Space Nine. There was the USS Galaxy, which is of course the the class ship. Right. I can't say that I remember anymore. There was yeah. several background ships in various uh, Dominion battles that had big mm -hmm. fleets and fleets of hundreds of ships. Oh, true, true. They were pretty much unnamed. You could just see them on screen and you probably would need a, a, a Blu-ray upscale for uh, DS9. Hey, Paramount. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Political. Yeah, that is... Give us 4K DS9. I mean, 100%. Like, I've seen people do the you know the microsoft upscaling on of some scenes of deep space nine yeah and it's wonderful uh the only problem is i do believe that the makeup people may have cut some corners sometimes because they knew the ratio that it was filmed in uh -huh. i feel like especially in first seasons odo's makeup is not is not that great i oh. think that if they upscale it you'll be able to see a lot of errors mm. i even feel like uh, Kira's nose is not that great in some episodes. Okay. So I'm wondering if like that's the fear around upscaling Deep Space Nine is that it'll bring out all the flaws. Well, but we'd love the flaws. Yeah, I, I like the fact <laughs> that when we watch the upscale TNG, mm -hmm. you can see the gold makeup rubbing off on Data's collar. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> actually one of my favorite things <laughs> when, when they remastered next gen did they um leave in pulaski or did they rub her out you know that is a it's probably a good idea you know <laughs> i think that it might be a good idea to just go ahead and do that they could just call her they could they could call they could say that she was like the second in charge and just use her very briefly <laughs> <laughs> I think we can also splice in that moment from L.A. Law, you know, when Roz falls down the turbolift shaft. <laughs> <laughs> There's, um, in early Seinfeld, the, act, the actor that played um, Jerry's dad was played by a different actor and they ended up replacing mm -hmm. him in syndication. So they could they could just refilm it with Crusher in season two. And, you know, in my head, Canon Crusher was the chief medical officer for the whole thing. <laughs> I think that's a far better idea because... Who really needs the racist old doctor? I mean, it was fun with McCoy <laughs> because it was 1966, yeah. but, you know, yeah. moving that into the 80s is a little <laughs> bit short-sighted. Yeah. <laughs> 
So the Alito is seems like confused and doesn't like immediately fire, right? Mm -hmm. And this is the time when I, you know, that they show that that view screen. Okay. You know, from inside the Texas class, and yeah. and you see mm -hmm. the fire. Just yep. because you wanted to find the actual place, um, but they do get, you know, they surround that ship and they beat the crap out. This is like this is like a schoolyard like beatdown. This, this, <laughs> this, is, this is tiny little teddy bears versus an empire. Like the the Alito apparently said something about somebody's mama, and everybody <laughs> just like glommed him and yeah. beat the crap out of him. Well, apparently Boy Domingo did say something about somebody's mama. Yeah. Oh, he they did. They definitely said something about Freeman. Fair enough. Yeah. When we head back to the the starbase, mm -hmm. one of the first things I notice is that we have continued the um, inclusion and advancement that we have been doing in this era of Star Trek. Um, this is probably the third time I've seen the officer wearing the hijab. Okay. Oh. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. I like the different parallels from the different uh california class ships mm -hmm. what do you mean by parallels do you mean differences so, between them or do you mean the similarities the similarities so like when we look on the view screen uh for any of the california class ships you have basically like the same characters that look slightly different right like mariner's yeah. a bug <laughs> you know the Aaron mariner's like a mosquito in one of them um you know you have when we get to the lounge and everybody's there you have that doctor in the background who looks like a a a Caucasian male version of Tiana. Oh, right. I, I enjoyed that. I actually thought one of them, I can't remember which one, but also looked a little bit like the bridge that the Enterprise had in that Yesterday's Enterprise episode. Oh, I'm going to have to go back and watch it again. Yeah. Oh, for me. Poor yeah. <laughs> so that is still the Enterprise D, but it's Enterprise D in a different universe because yeah. um, because of some war that wouldn't have happened if Tashiyar didn't go back in time. But that meant that the Enterprise looks different. The Enterprise D looked different in that episode compared to what we're used to. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, I thought the, the bridge looked, looked very similar to that in one of the quick cuts, but I couldn't tell you which one it was. Did we use the, we, we repurposed the battle bridge again. Oh, please do. <laughs> need more battle bridge. <laughs> Boimler has to, you know, issue his apology uh, to Mariner and really like this is the thing like that I was saying that episode like I was surprised that they didn't back her up a little bit more than they did mm -hmm. Mm. you know and push for her to you know be for her to be taken more into consideration a little bit more quickly okay Tendi also cops to that you know and 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 her apology is as heartfelt when we turn to Rutherford <laughs> things get really dark yeah they do the deep dark places that Red Rutherford goes to is completely creepy. When he's is this when he goes, there's still bits of this implant that I don't know what it does yet. Yeah, he's like, Well, I was taken over and I was used as blah 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 blah. But Oakley Doakley, everything's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you did a perfect imitation of that. <laughs> yeah. Here's a thing that I actually just noticed it on my this happens every time, like before we were recording. Before we record, I'll watch the episode like one more time, like probably for the sixth time. Uh -huh. And I, this is a thing that I didn't notice until this last time. Rutherford is shifting through different views in his um, in his implant, right? Yeah. One of those views is heat vision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a person that disappears in the heat vision. There's several people oh. that don't heat up. They're not red at all. Yeah, and what is that about, do you think? I think it's sloppy animation. If you Ho hologram? 
I don't think this is the second time that you've you've pointed to the potential like errors and and foibles and of like the animators. I don't think the plants were unintentional. I think that that was an intentional okay, thing. Okay, yeah, I agree. Because when we went to X-ray, mm -hmm. you saw everybody. But then when we went to heat, you uh, didn't see everybody. What kind of scale what shape was the skeleton in on the other on the people that weren't red? In the heat vision, they weren't there. It was just like a no, black background. So when we went from X-ray the same people that they were looking at mm -hmm. in in heat vision what was the shape of their skeleton because in other media robots have different shaped skeletons than humans do they have like gears and, and hinges and yeah so they were they were the same oh okay at least as far as i remember yeah. maybe we should all go back and check it out after <laughs> Episode 69 of Let's Talk About Drugs. Twitter also told me that one of the one of the characters has two spines. Oh. Which I didn't pick up, but someone's picked that up. Maybe he's partially Klingon. Oh, I said spines. Yeah. Or don't oh. they have, like, a backup? No, they oh. don't, because Worf is paralyzed just with breaking one back. Yes, uh, but he healed because his secondary kicked in, didn't he? No, he healed because they replicated him a new spine. Huh. No, fair enough. He does have two with other appendages, but just one spine, I think. He does. Welcome to episode 69. <laughs> <laughs> do, do female Klingons have... <laughs> Two vaginas? Yeah. I've been wondering that myself too. <laughs> so here's the here's the deal with the Klingon females is that like depending on whether they like you, it depends on which one they provide for you. <laughs> oh so kind of like ducks. Yeah, like if I want to have a baby with you, then you have this one. If I just, you know, like just want you to get, you know, we finish and you know get done with business, <laughs> then you take this one over here. <laughs> May I ask, citation needed? Well, I mean, I don't have any proof about the females, but I, it seems to me to make sense that if Klingons, if Klingon males have two sets of genitalia, then the Klingon females would as well, yeah? Do, do Klingons have two back doors? <laughs> well, that would work. For them to have two back doors, they would have two mouths. Oh, okay. Do they have two mouths? Maybe, they don't have a tongue Maybe mouth? they do. <laughs> maybe they have one, like, in the middle of their chest also. <laughs> I, I like that me and Earl are asking these questions and, and Jack you're speaking like I am the authority in knowing that <laughs> 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 and we're not arguing with you we're like yeah you like <laughs> I mean I've, I've, I've been hanging out with Worf for years we've talked about all these things before <laughs> excellent Wh which one? Worf oh right you know the Klingon <laughs> she said <laughs> and then everybody looked at her like she was a lunatic <laughs> and then she looked like oh my god wait I said Klingon and they think that oh my god so are Klingons related to sharks and ducks I don't think Klingons are related to ducks oh okay I don't think they have a corkscrew <laughs> if that's what you're getting at I was saying that female ducks have different passages so that you can oh. find the right passage where the egg is gotcha so gotcha depending on if you want to reproduce with that particular male duck then you let them into the one passage if you, if you I don't know man why don't you ask Laurel if she's like a duck and see what her response you let me know what she says <laughs> she'd probably kill me on the spot that is my point <laughs> <laughs> episode 70 we're very brief <laughs> it will it will we've we've expended every possible joke <laughs> how much of it are you gonna cut 
we'll count the penis and fart jokes and see how many there are. I still don't think that the Cerritos farted when it ejected its warp core. Because there's no sound in space. I like how Tendi gets a, a new buddy. Mm, yeah. Mm. I don't know if the name Talin sounds familiar. Uh-huh. Can you remember that episode of Lower Decks where we looked at Lower Decks of other species as well? Yes. Oh, yeah, thank you. I've got a feeling she was on the Vulcan ship. I think so as well. Hmm. What's weird is that, like, yeah, she's animated, but I felt like I recognized her. I was like, was she was the one who spoke up, right? Yeah, the one that... And they were was... all like, you are losing it. Yeah, and <laughs> therefore okay. you should go to the Federation. Yeah, I, th I think I think that's why. So uh, I think that's the same character. That oh. is neat. So that's okay. continuity from, like, that little moment. Hmm. See, this goes back again to what we were talking about last episode, how... Lower Decks has the ability to like uh, even the background carry like we even the background actors stay the same which is what I expected with Voyager mm -hmm. yeah you know we we're all 70,000 light years away we shouldn't see new people show up every week <laughs> it should always be the same people in the background right? we still haven't seen the Delaney sisters we never met well, them. they went to the they went to the uh they went to that planet the Delaney sisters was who um Tom and Harry were supposed to be dating or, or trying to date throughout the yeah. first season. But we never met them. They were actually Delanian sisters. <laughs> so they were on that planet with the massages and stuff. <laughs> right. So have we seen them in Lower Decks but not in Voyager? Yeah. yeah, Voyager dropped the ball a few times on some things. A few times, yeah. I know that we're getting towards the end of the episode as far yeah. as both ours and um, the, the one that we watched. We are. Can I make a comment that this episode isn't lower decks. This is this is a bridge crew episode. It's a little bit of both. It, it I, I see it as a Captain Freeman episode rather than a it lower decks. Really is. Yeah. Yeah, because it really is. We don't really see. We see our lower decks set occasionally during the episode, mm. but we don't really follow them around. We follow Freeman and the. That's an interesting point. Yeah, Rutherford's there for the reveal. Tendy's very absent, I feel, in this episode, and Boimler, by his normal standards, mm -hmm. like he, his moment is to, is actually telling the crew to listen to a bridge officer, which again holds huh. my contention that it's a yeah, it's an upper decks episode. Huh. Well, from a certain point of view, the entire Cali class is a lower mm. in the fact that the whole fleet, they're they're not first contact, they're second contact, and they they do the oh what you know by the way we should do this or whatever they're the leftovers i would like to view the eighth contact ships and let me see what they're like <laughs> like starbase 80 has some some uh some eighth contact <laughs> specialists maybe they're still flying uh <laughs> the shuttlecraft discovery oh you mean from now <laughs> from now okay uh, i like how they confirmed that uh shax is a bear cub and Shax just adopts his new little baby bear. <laughs> I love that too. It's fantastic. Yeah, and they're all they're all just like a, a pack of bears. I want to be a baby okay. bear. <laughs> okay, that's that's you guys. You guys can be the bears. Oh come on, you're not a bear cub. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Pass. No, that's I don't know. Mm -mm. Mm. So I guess you know really like no apology needed because. Yeah, the uh, the joining the bear pack is pretty much like supersedes the need for an apology. The apology was everybody shut up and listen to Shax. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, I would definitely be a bridge buddy though. Yeah, 
I would like to have some, you know, a buddy on the bridge. Yeah. Um, Rutherford always comes up with these cute, cute little lines like "keep on pupping," and this time it's like, "Oh, new bears!" <laughs> all bears. Yay! Dog would bears. you prefer to be? Would you prefer to be in the bear pack or in Ransom's photo with his mates from the episode or two before? I, I would like to hang out with the bartender and the nurse and the cetaceans. I, I just want to hang out with the cetaceans. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if the others want to come along, they're fine, fine too. But I'd be happy anywhere. This is true. Yeah, yeah. pretty much anywhere on the ship, especially uh, a ship that has a holodeck, because they can be anywhere, anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Boimler is doing a lot of apologizing this episode. Computer load program Barclay sixty nine. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a good one. We saw that program, didn't we? We have. Did, did you notice that when Boimler made that move back then? You know the move. I'm not going to describe it. No. What move? You, you know the move I'm talking about. Is it the rocket? That we just see. No. So uh, he was unclothed. Right? Oh, and he that, was on a table. That maneuver. Yeah, 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 yeah. So did you notice that right behind, right behind him was Manhaver? I was too busy looking at the foreground. I didn't notice that there was a background. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mariner has come to uh, to see your mom and get formally, you know, reinstated back in. Yeah, they're basically trying to apologize to one another and sort of like don't need to because they've both kind of made mistakes and are yeah. coming back from it. I myself, if Freeman had been like, "Oh, you should come back to Starfleet," I'd been like, "I would have, I would have made her wait a little. I would have made her sweat just a little bit more." Oh, have you been like, oh, I don't know. I mean, maybe. yeah, you know, like I don't like I could use an extra pip or something. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I, I thought she handled it with um, good grace, actually. Like she made a good point that when people have been apologizing to her and said, you know, we should have thought better of you. She she does make the point that well, basically, I've I've been I have been notorious for being bad. It's no wonder that you didn't. But just move mm-hmm. on and get on with it. I thought that was quite quite level of her actually yeah. and mariner like yeah well and i i thought it was kind of surprised i've always thought it was kind of surprising how easy it is to be reinstated as yes. an officer in starfleet yeah. i mean if you get booted out of the navy are you ever coming back well it depends upon the circumstances okay like if the circumstances were invalid then they can invalidate the whole thing sure. oh okay at the yeah. risk of bringing up um, the hollow, the, sorry, at the risk of bringing up the sex candle again. Um, oh, Lord. Beverly Crusher quits in that episode and reinstated absolutely by the end of it. Oh, you right. know, she, she barely quit for 20 minutes. Just enough for one ghost. <laughs> if you recall, Worf resigned for a moment and went off and did a murder and came back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably better than my example. <laughs> um, um, Neelix resigned and didn't come back. That was great. Yeah, episode. good for him. Yeah. <laughs> Neelix resigned from what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there was a line that Mariner made about, like, she probably won't be a captain. Uh-huh. You know, mm. but she doesn't want to be in Starfleet. For some reason, that took me back to, it made me re- remember something vital uh-huh. that we have overlooked in Star Trek Picard. There was a time, and I'm trying to I'm trying to pull up exactly in my head, like, what it was. There was a time that someone told Picard, because you did this thing, you will never become an admiral. Hmm. Hmm. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. It can't be that bad because all admirals are bad. Well, this is true. There was a time when uh, somebody told him, when the Starfleet Command head lady told him in like one of the very first few episodes, that uh-huh. 
how dare you have the gumption to just walk in here and think that you can just demand a ship. You walked away from Starfleet. There's no way we're just going to hand you a ship. I got you. Yes, this is this, that was Admiral Clancy and her sheer fucking hubris. Line. Yeah. yeah. But I'm talking about when, when Picard was a captain on The Next Generation. Oh, okay. He did something. I feel like maybe it had to do with... It might have been a movie. It may have been the events that happened in Insurrection. Okay. Where someone said, like, because you've done this, you'll never see Admiral. And he was fine with that. That might have been Insurrection. And that turned out to be a bad role that was doing, you know, would have been himself court-martialed anyway. So what he says doesn't really... Oh, um, okay. Okay. So now that, that connects back to me again. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like people say, oh, you'll never work in Hollywood again. Well, if you that person dies and never tells anybody. Why do you think Mariner would want Ransom to mentor her? Like, no, what do you think was positive about that? I don't know. I reckon she likes him now. Well, the weird thing was I thought Ransom's reaction, because I thought Ransom enjoyed being her, her, her mentor. I mean, that's I'm sure it's a lot of extra work. Yeah, a lot, a lot of extra work. You know, and then he's also stuck between their relationship. Mm, okay. Oh, right. So he's literally stuck in the middle if he becomes her mentor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe he didn't yeah. like being in the position of having to report back to the captain that she went in and meet met with the uh, uh, the reporter and then having to go and tell the captain and then having to be there when, you know, Freeman inexplicably rip, rips her a new a-hole. Yeah. It could, also, it could also be unclear to him what the what the actual purpose is. Like, is it to actually get improvement out of her or to get enough material to show why she isn't Starfleet material and should actually be out? Like, right, that was the... I felt like that was the original purpose. Yeah, so I don't think that's that anymore. Huh. Mm. The other thing I'm going to point out is uh, when Freeman mentions about Mariner becoming a captain, she says... She, I, I interpret it more as... She said, let's table that for now. Maybe I'll do that, uh, uh, strive for that end goal at some point. But right now, I do know that I just want to do, you know, be, be, be in Starfleet. Yeah. yeah. I, I like the, again, going back to the continuity that we continue to establish in Lower Decks, Mariner's friend, who was a captain, mm -hmm. I remember came back, like, was it last season? Maybe even one. Might have been season one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she's the one who gives the speech, you know, toward the end in the uh, yeah in the lounge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, when we all we all end up, you know, cheering for the for the Cali class. Excellent. Did you guys join in with the cheer? <laughs> I did. I did join in with the cheer. Yep. I absolutely did. No. I mean, I I didn't. I don't know why. <laughs> okay. I, I do other things during the episode. I don't necessarily Ooh. interact with try and interact with the crew, but yeah. Welcome to episode sixty-nine, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Oh no, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> it is the it is the all tier for the Cali class that takes us into the credits. Mm -hmm. And I had to be informed on Twitter, make sure you watch to the end of the credits. <laughs> so it was actually viewing three that I went back. And when the the app tried to take me out, you know, out of the credits and have me watching Strange New Worlds again, oh, uh, that I watched to the end to see the uh, the end scene, the end Marvel scene. And this is where I got to have my moment of finally. There's mentioning Badgie again, and he's still there. 
I'm, and I haven't slept since. I'm very scared. <laughs> it's extremely harrowing to see Badgie come back, especially considering that this whole episode was based on the same AI that exists in Badgie. Yeah. Yeah. And also in light of the idea that I have seen, uh, I'm, I'm going to drop some spoilers here for those of you <laughs> who don't want spoilers. Close your ears for like 15 seconds. Me? So when we see uh, Moriarty coming back for Picard season three, oh. that sort of like hollow threat la, 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 is la. it's like a la, parallel la, la, la. with Badgie. La, la, la. <laughs> so I'm like, I, I wonder if they're going to team up. <laughs> you know what? Badgie doesn't need a team. He's, he's scary. He doesn't. He is. Well, this is true. He'll team up with Clippy. Oh, he is Clippy, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's the startling evolution of Clippy. Hey, it looks like you're trying to write a letter. <laughs> I have to admit, I actually figured it was going to be in there, and I caught it the first time I watched the episode. Oh, well, good job. Did you catch the koala? The red koala this time. I, I did not see a red koala. When they introduced the system, the... the Kala system, which I think remarkably sounds a lot like Koala. Uh, there was a sun and then a red cloud. Right next, right in the red cloud is the other, the red Koala. Huh. I'm going to have to go I'll watch have it go again. And, yep, no doubt. <laughs> I, I like this episode. I, I didn't like it as much as uh, a season finale as I would have. I don't know what I would have changed to make it a better season finale. Mm -hmm. I, I Well, let me just say that in the end, I think I'm going 8.9 for my rating on this episode. <laughs> okay. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad Peanut Hamper wasn't there. I'm glad everyone got to go. It was yeah. good to see the bridge crew as well as the lower decks. Um, I think it resolved the storyline well, but also set up well what's going to come next. What do you think is going to come next? Well, Badgie. And and Mariner being back, um, that, that that's got to be where we start. I mean, last season had the cliffhanger of um, Freeman being arrested, um, so this mm -hmm. doesn't have the big cliffhanger like the the story resolved. But I, I still think there's plenty, and even Rutherford's storyline resolved with um you know his his history. Yeah, there's still plenty to play out in lower decks. Even Tendi, her ambition now to rise in the ranks, and Mariner being back, probably being a safer Mariner. Will Bob Boimler become the new Mariner, and as as well, and mm -hmm. yeah, just yeah, I'm excited for it to return when it does. Oh, did you have a rating for the episode? Oh, um, sixty nine percent. There you go. <laughs> I liked the the pay the payoffs that I got. I liked how I got a whole bunch of moments in this episode where I'm like, yes, see that I told you that was going to happen. Like w w with the original implant, when we saw that again w in in the uh, peanut hamper episode, I'm like, that's what is still going on with that? Why did they show us that? You know, there's got it's got to, you know, spawn something. I had forgotten that Badgie was put into the implant somehow. Me too. But I, I knew that there was going to be like an evil twin of Rutherford or something or an evil implant. I liked how they came back to all sorts of other things that are slipping my mind right now. But uh, I think I will give this maybe a 9.1. Ooh, that's good. High marks. I like it. <laughs> Seems like we all very much enjoyed this episode. 
The next episode of Let's Talk About Treks will be covering the 10th episode of Star Trek Prodigy. Isaac, thank you for joining us this episode. And everybody listen to uh, one of my new favorite podcasts. It's called Unplanned Trek. Thank you very much for having me, guys. It's been it's been a, a big session. It's been a very enjoyable too. It's I'm humbled to be on. It's been fun. Thank you for joining us. And uh, join us again, like Jack said, next time when we review the new episode of Star Trek Project. Anything else? Until next time. Oh, that's right. Until next time, stay positive, dream big. And you'll hear from us again soon. Support the continued making of this show through Patreon.com. Let's Talk About Treks is a production of Anodyne Relay supported by the Star Trek fan community of listeners like you. We review the copyrighted works of Paramount CBS's Star Trek team, of whom no copyright infringement is intended. You can reach us via email at email at letstalkabouttreks.com. You can leave us a message at area code 202-804-6312. Our producer is David Moody, and our writers, Jack and Earl, are on Twitter as at Trekstalkers, and would greatly appreciate the obligatory like and subscribe from wherever you're listening now. We record on Lenovo computers with Zoom, mix with NCH Mixpad, and master with Kako 3 Our intro, outro, and interstitial musics feature samples from Awakening by Waterboy from Pixabay. Zach here from Unplanned Trek. Like our good friends at Let's Talk About Treks, each week we do a new show. We put it up at where you listen to podcasts, and what we do is we focus on Star Trek. Any episode or movie from across all the Trek canon is open each week for us to attach our unique lens to it and dissect it with a little bit of humour thrown in too. So if you like these guys, give us a go too. Search Unplanned Trek wherever you listen to podcasts.